In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is God's word. All right, and I'll simply add to all of this, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. So the, uh, the angel says, fear not. Um, how, are we, how are we doing with that going into a new year? I mentioned that I listened to a uh, podcast of predictions for the year that was not the most helpful thing for my soul. It was good Christian people and, and all that. But the, uh, you know, I was reminded that, look, you know, Donald Trump goes on trial in the spring. That could be a complicated moment in our culture that isn't getting a lot of uh, conversation. Uh, there will be a presidential election this year that promises to be not the smoothest uh, moment in our nation's history, right? The wars that are going on in Ukraine and Israel, Palestine are not on the verge of ending anytime soon. And in fact, there are signals there could be more of that, right? And uh, that whole process might be a real mess. And so welcome to 2024. Like, it could be a little complicated. And that's just politics, right? That doesn't even factor in what's going on in our, in our personal lives, in our heart, in our families, stuff like that. So why would I bring this up? at church. We're supposed to be encouraged. Um, why would we think about such things in the middle of worship? Well, it's, it's because this scripture that Joy just read to us is a moment where the curtain of time and space is torn apart and the kingdom of heaven is visualized to a group of shepherds. And we need in moments like this to remember what stands behind the curtain. We need to remember what is truest in our, in our world, in our lives. Um, and this, this whole scripture that we've been going through, this section of Luke, actually is not blind. It's doing a similar thing that I just did in mentioning the political realities. So actually, I, I, I'll just read again from last week. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This is huge. This is a, this is a big historic moment. 
Um, this was the first registration. It says when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. So it's a very specific one. Um, that's a little bit hard to nail down historically for us, but these happened a lot and they were monumental moments in their day. All went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph, Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who is with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. So the, the scene here is of a Roman taxation. This is actually one of the taxations of Quirinius when he was governing. He didn't have to be the governor. He was governing at the time. And this is one of the most influential, brutal, corrupt empires in history. But it's also a very prosperous empire that brought a sense of peace to the world through its dominance. Um, it, ex it exerted so much control um, in its part of the world, that there was a sense of peace and of progress, of technological progress um, in their day. And if you were born Roman, you would have been very um, patriotic. You would have loved Rome. And if you were Jewish, like Mary and Joseph, you likely, um, first of all, detested Rome to some degree, while also simultaneously having a hard time imagining what the alternative might look like. Like, what would it look like for your nation to become dominant like Rome as a Jewish person when your whole people had been taken over and were being ruled by the world power. You'd have to become more like Rome, not less. You'd have to become more powerful, more industrious. Your leaders would have to rise up to overthrow and rule over those who had ruled over you. But to overthrow Rome... You'd have to overthrow Caesar, who is a man with abundant resources and the devotion of a god. I mean, they literally had placed the Caesars in the place of worship to where they were divine in their culture. And to get to him, you'd have to get through their military and the rulers with allegiance to him, such as even Israel's own King Herod and Quirinius, who governed in Syria. And these people were no joke either. What does it mean to be great, to be kind of a great uh, person? I, I did a mini deep dive on Quirinius this week. How does he get into the Bible, right? He has a, he has a little footnote here. Well, Quirinius was, was no joke. He was a very wealthy and powerful man. He's mentioned by numerous Greek sources um, in, in our historical records, so we know a decent amount about him. He was a successful military leader, which pleased Caesar Augustus. He uh, coordinated the storming of a strategic fortress and was promoted into government after that successful military campaign. Um, after one of the more famous Jewish revolts, where Jewish people did indeed try to overflow the government under a, a man named Judas Maccabees, which led to the, the holiday Hanukkah, um, after that revolt, Quirinius was sent into this area to keep the Jews in line. And people would have had mixed feelings about him. He was a powerful leader. Um, he, even, even Roman people had mixed feelings because he was very successful. He was very um, talented. 
But he also had divorced a couple of women and kind of thrown them under the bus. And this was very uh, common knowledge. Uh, He actually was in a big campaign to try to get his second wife killed because he said she had tried to poison him and he was denying that their son belonged to him. And he, he kind of was one of those you know, really powerful world leaders whose personal life was kind of a mess. And this tarnished his reputation. But he didn't lose anything politically because of this because he was aggressive and strong. He successfully taxed and quieted the Jews, which is what Augustus had asked him to do. And so the census that would have drawn Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem was his work. And what the census was really about was to assess the loyalty of the subjects of Rome. And so we know, actually, around this time, maybe even the same census, that there were about 6,000 religious leaders, Jewish religious leaders, we, we know them as Pharisees, who refused to attend the census because they would not submit to Rome. They wanted it to be recorded that they were not going to bow the knee. So what does it take to look, you know, be a great person like Quirinius? This is him. He gets, you know, one of the, the busts in, uh, in Roman culture. Well, you do big things. You win. You get noticed. You get promoted. You stay loyal to the people who are more powerful than you, and you step on anyone who gets in your way, and you climb the ladder as high as you can. Well, what does that have to do with people like you and me and Mary and Joseph, right? Well, it affects our lives. Mary and Joseph, as we discussed last week, had to make a 90-mile uh, trip some, to some degree on foot to be taxed while they were about to give birth. And this was a really bad week um, for them, I would assume. This was not, you know, calm and bright. This was probably kind of stressful. Um, And then they got to Bethlehem, and what did they do? They did not do what the Pharisees did. They swore allegiance to Caesar by being taxed. They they accepted it. And it can seem kind of like our lives too, like what hills are worth dying on? And when do you just go, okay? Um, It seems like you have to figure out what hills to die on to be really involved and make a difference and contribute to society. Some things you're going to have to stand up for, and sometimes you're just little old you, and you can't handle so much. But some people uh, don't even think about it all, right? There's people who are just fighting to get by, who I would say would be a little bit lower on the totem pole than even Mary and Joseph. Maybe they just got such a bad deck of cards in life that it's hard for them to imagine even making an impact. Maybe they have royally failed in life to the point to where nobody cares what they think. And it can all seem kind of pointless because they feel kind of powerless. And in the days that Jesus was born, some of those people would have been shepherds. 
So there's evidence out there that shepherds were quite looked down upon, and, and that's sort of generalized. We can't really say these shepherds outside of Bethlehem were, you know, looked down upon. I, I can't really say. But we do know that they were not upwardly mobile. They were at the, the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum. They were on the lower end of the social spectrum. They were not influencing anybody, shepherds. They were doing the menial tasks. How aware would they have been of the lifestyles of the rich and famous, of the, you know, the inner life of Quirinius? Well, a little bit, because to buy anything, they had his face in their pocket, right? Here's Quirinius. He gets a coin. So does Caesar Augustus, right? So they would know who they were because you couldn't get away from it. You'd need their face to buy some food. But you're still kind of a nobody yourself. And there's not much you can do, so why bother? So it's not expected. It wouldn't be expected by me, I don't think by anyone else, that the most dramatic encounter with God, I, I actually want, I, I think this might be true, Maybe not the most profound, but one of the most dramatic encounters with God in the entire New Testament is reserved for them. And I, I want to just read to you again what, what Joy read to you. But this time, just think about who we're talking about here. The, the shepherds who don't really have anything to offer. In the same region were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people of the world. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among, whom those, <laughs> among those with whom he is pleased." When the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They went with haste. Joy noted that that was a key word when she was telling me about studying the scripture. And found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So what does this have to do with the trial of Donald Trump, the presidential election, Russia, Ukraine, Israel, Hamas, Augustus, Quirinius? Um, what does it have to do with any of that? Well... We have heard this scripture too many times wrapped up in a Christmas tradition. And I just want to try to like 
rip it off for a second. If we could just rip down the lights and the tree and just think about this. It, in the same region, this little section starts out with it. In the same region as what? Well, the region that was told to us in the scripture is where Jesus was born and where Quirinius was the governor, where Quirinius was in charge. That's the region where the shepherds were. And the angel of the Lord appears and God's glory shines all around them. Now the angel, an angel is a divine, powerful messenger. I, did, I had a little fun. I looked online at what like people have put descriptions of angels into AI generators. It's wild. <laughs> like just the descriptions in the Bible and let AI try to spit out what that would look like. Like some of them are these like big, crazy eye wheels with like, you know, lightning through it. It's cool because that is the words. It's hard for us to imagine that just how wild this. Now, now I think this powerful messenger looked like a human for a reason, but still angels in the Bible, as we've tried to say all Christmas here are intense. Okay. So this powerful, intense being speaks to these shepherds. And then there's the glory of the Lord, okay? You hear this in the Bible reserved for some pretty critical moments. Um, later, Jesus is going to display the glory of the Lord. Or the glory of the Lord is going to be displayed around Jesus to just a couple disciples. Um, but elsewhere, the big moment is after the nation of Israel is delivered from slavery through insane supernatural acts that I guarantee you, you all cannot wrap your mind around. Like ocean, like a, a large lake sea parting ways so that people can walk through it through, you know, these plagues of locusts and blood, you know, water turning to blood and frogs and all the firstborns of Egypt died. Like this is stuff where you go, sounds insane. I'm is, is, did that really happen? Well, they said it did. And they would have gone through this left Egypt, which we know they did. And then they come to a mountain called Sinai and God who has delivered them out of Egypt beckons their leader to come up the mountain, Right. And what he can see up on the mountain is a fire storm up there, right? And Moses goes up the mountain to get near God. And he has to turn his face away to be in the presence of God. And there God gives him the Ten Commandments, which nobody's ever forgotten since, whatever you might think about them. But Moses, who has just been through all of this dramatic stuff, is given these like moral laws that are going to govern humanity for the rest of time. And the glory of the Lord surrounds him. That's what just happened to these shepherds. Do you realize that? And then the angel speaks about the royal line of Israel, the, the Davidic kingdom, the the David, the great king, and how they're, they're expecting that a, a king is going to come from his lineage that's going to be their savior, who's going to save them. They're thinking right now from Rome, 
And then the angel calls him Christ the Lord. And we've talked with the kids up here about what a Christ is. It is not Jesus's last name. It is to be the anointed one, the future king. And to be the Lord is to be the ruler, like a supreme authority. These are like loaded words, right? And then after he gives a sign, he said, here's the sign you'll know all this is true, by the way. You're going to go into town and you're going to find a feed trough with a baby in it. That's not normal. And they go to town and they find a feed trough with a baby in it. So if somebody told you that, hey, you know, I don't know. They told you like, hey, you're going to go downtown and you're going to find a baby on top of the big red sculpture by the library. You go, okay, I don't doubt it. And you go down there and there's the baby on top of the big red sculpture by the library. Oh. Okay, maybe they know what they're talking about. They were also in you know, glory and they were insane. And then they see the multitude of the heavenly hosts. And when I think of that because of Christmas, I see a gold sky choir with lots of horns. Do you, what do you see? Just think about it. what do you see when you see that? The Greek word for heavenly host is army. It's the army of God. Like this, so that's why I think the angel looked like a person, because this looks to them like an army. So the sky splits. They're, they're surrounded by the kind of glory that Moses would have experienced when he received the Ten Commandments. And they see a flaming sky full of army who are saying glory to God in the highest. It's not like to God. There, I mean, this is like glory to God in the highest. Like, it's insane. And then they say peace on earth. Like, this is like, I imagine like big chant, Lord of the Rings kind of moment here. That really, like, strip Christmas off this. This is wild. Are you, are you with me? Okay. This is, that's why I'm saying this is one of the most incredible spiritual encounters in the whole entire New Testament. Like there's, it surpasses what Moses saw in Sinai to some degree. This is incredible. They're seeing a spiritual kingdom that stands beyond the created order. Wow. Shepherds are the only ones who saw it. And they knew what it was because they responded to what it was. It was a presentation ceremony for a new king, an inauguration of a new order. The curtain was torn back to reveal the spiritual layers beyond the earthly conflict and how they're breaking in to creation and something new has begun. So this brings up a lot of questions for a human like me. What does it mean to believe a new spiritual kingdom or a, an existing spiritual kingdom is breaking into this world and, and already, already started? How should that make me feel? And what should I do with this, right? What do I do? What does it mean that Mary and Joseph, you know, came into Bethlehem and submitted to a census right before this king was born? Like, what do I do? And the scripture is giving us a massive clue in, in the fact that the audience of this manifestation is the shepherds. God decides 
to take the working class dudes on the overnight construction crew who could make no political difference and he showed it all to them. Why? Well, what does it mean to be great? We, we talked about what Quirinius did to be great. What does it mean to be great? Is it our power and the things that we accomplish? Or is it God's invitation to see his glory? Where's the genesis of greatness? Is it from within us? Or is it something that God who made us gives to us? The story of the shepherd sheds light on this. God chooses to grant his greatest manifestation to those the culture overlooked and considered powerless. There were no news stories about these shepherds. They were entirely off the radar, but not to God. So think about your last couple weeks. Um, how much has Quirinius uh, impacted the last couple weeks for you? How much have you thought about him? Quirinius, who governed in Syria. No, Garrett? No? no? Yeah, other than that, other than the only church in town talking about Quirinius, right? Like, there's, <laughs> it's not really affecting us, right? Uh, you know, what, what fortress did Quirinius raid again? Who cares? Yeah, I, I, maybe somebody cares. Some, some scholar might care, but most of us, why would we care? Um, Quirinius becomes a footnote in the story that I had to go hunt down to understand, right, in, in a story that we've been thinking about all week as Christians at Christmas. You know, what regions were the shepherds in? Anybody remember? What town were they near? Bethlehem. Yeah, yeah, you know that. Isn't that wild? You know where the shepherds were 2,000 years ago even though the story isn't about them at all. Because the kingdom that they were blinded by on that hillside, hillside is strong and growing and enduring thousands of years later. That's true. We are here because of it. Millions of people are gathered across the, the world because of it. And none of us know who Quirinius is, except four Maybe four to six. We know about it because the shepherds were shown it and went and told people about it. So Bethlehem was bombed Christmas Day, right? Um, in a conflict between two kingdoms fighting for land and power. We Americans will vote for a new president this year in a footnote kingdom. One that we love and we should care about, but a footnote kingdom in the long span of history. And why do we need to know this? Why do we need to know this? Because otherwise we'll be prone to a false hope and arrogance when our kingdom is winning or the twin brother of arrogance, devastation, when our kingdom is failing. When the kingdoms of this world clash and clamor, we can either feel the, the rise and the arrogance of winning or the devastation of losing. 
and will cease to live in wonder at the enduring greatness of the kingdom of God that stands behind all of it. We're going into a new year. We have no idea what the future holds. We really don't. Um, it could be better than you think. The prediction show could have been totally wrong, right, that I listened to. It might be full of light. This might be the smoothest presidential election we have ever seen in our entire lives. The Cubs might win the World Series. Um, you know, it could surprise us. It could be, could be really beautiful. Um, it could be worse, right? We don't know what this is going to look like. And, and shoot, like I said, I, that was just the big picture politics stuff. Like for some of us, there could be things in our life that come up, diseases, stuff in our homes, stuff in our families that, that we never saw coming, right? And we need to know, no matter what, that the kingdom of God is strong and stands firm as it always has. And we need to understand our role in the midst of it, what it means for us to rest in the greatness of God. So what do we take away from the kingdom vision to the shepherds? I think there's a few things, but one is that God is at work in the subtle, quiet, and overlooked places, building things that last. Um, we rarely see this stuff on the news, right? I stumbled on a story that like blew my mind around Christmas, um, that there was a, there was a hotel. This was a NPR story that there was a hotel run by a, a lady who was, um, she was widowed and she'd opened her door to all these refugees and they, they started baking, making meals together. And if you really like, there are a couple like little words and pictures. You're like, wait, these are Christians. They're doing, they're having worship services and prayer nights and all this stuff in this hotel in Colorado that was on the verge of shutting down. Every once in a while, you see a news story that reminds you like in these forgotten, overlooked places, like incredible things are happening. The news isn't going to capture most of that, but that's where it's happening, right? That's where it's happening. We do have history uh, to look to to remember that things have, there have been dark times, right? There have been darker times than these. Um, there have been, you know, world leaders have come and gone. Systems have come and gone. But the kingdoms that endured, uh, or the kingdom that's endured, God's kingdom that's endured, did so in small and subtle ways. I remember reading a, a history of the Reformation. And there was a point where people thought that the, like, true church of Jesus Christ was literally gone, like there's history can't find churches for a little bit, but then it pops up. It's like these people pop up and you go, where did they even come from? And you can't even tell. The kingdom endures in small and subtle ways in encouraging words and late night scripture readings and hope filled letters and walks around the block in an embrace in dinner at din around a dinner table in a rundown house through the lips of the elderly giving an encouraging word, through the reminder of a dying person about what really matters in this life. In a year that's front-loaded with bad news and dread, look to the kingdom of God. I, I want to, I just, to be like extremely practical, like orient yourself around this story. Like 
be in God's community of people who orient themselves around Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection and the hope of a coming kingdom. Like, make that a centerpiece of your life. You, you all are doing that today. Keep it up. You need to do it. You need to remind yourself in these small and subtle ways what is really true, what's most deeply true, what gives you hope for your soul. Read the true story in the scriptures. Speak of the victories of Jesus in your heart and life to others so that they can be encouraged and reminded. We need to hear those stories. Look at what the shepherds did in those days, right? Quirinius is clamping down allegiance to Caesar Augustus. He's extending the taxation of the Roman Empire. And these little shepherds are out telling the story. That's like, that's how it ends. They're telling the story of how they saw the armies of God in the sky. And then they told him they would see a sign, which was a baby and a feed trough. And they went to town and it was actually there. They're just running around telling everybody that. They said, hey, we, we saw... We saw this like sky army and they said there was going to be a baby in a feed trough and we went and there was a baby in a feed trough. We think it's the new king. They just told the story. They were a bunch of nobodies and people marveled. Why did they do that? They were like, whoa, is that really true? We heard about those people. Where did they go? What's going on with that? What's happening? And then I think we, we do what the shepherds did and what Mary and Joseph did. I the, 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 the part that it's barely there at the end, but what do they do? They went back to work. They saw this incredible vision. They went back to the hillsides, they went back to work. Like, what do you do in the face of like, whoa, I don't know, like what's going to happen in the world? Go to work, go to worship, go to work. Do your normal, just stay in rhythm. Tell the story, stay in rhythm, invest, do what you can. See, interestingly, like I mentioned before, Mary and Joseph, they didn't take the path of the Pharisees. Um, I don't know that the shepherds did either. They, they didn't start a movement of resistance. Um, they, they did, but they didn't mean to, right? In this case, they, they registered for their taxes. They endured a little bit of burden and they waited for the king to come. They waited for the king to come. Later, Jesus would be asked uh, if they should pay Caesar's tax by his disciples or, or by some of the Pharisees, actually. And he took a coin out of his pocket. This one didn't have Quirinius's face on it. It had Caesar's, right? And he said, whose name and inscription's on it? And they said, Caesar. And they, he said, well, give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's. And they were all like, what? What do we, what do, we do with that? What does that mean? It means a lot, but it means God isn't ca calling us into constant revolt um, with the great uh, people of this world. He's not always calling you into the fray, into the clamor. God's kingdom is growing and it's built on different stuff. The great in the kingdom are rich in faith and hope and love. The resistance of the kingdom is when you're standing for grace and mercy and hope and truth. And often the great in the kingdom are those that people want to discard and leave behind. And no tax scheme can draw out of the account that the kingdom has invested in us. Which also means, though, that we're not called to leave the world behind. We are those kingdom representatives in our community, in our city, in our places, in our country. We can't just run from places by, that are hard or check out. I'm saying, hey, vote in the election. Like, be involved. Do what you can. But be a citizen of a different kingdom that doesn't anchor all your hope in that. If we always run from the hard places, all evidence shows those places will get worse. 
run from the bad neighborhood, it will get worse. But you can't bank on the same resources that our friends and neighbors do. If we give up hope for the world, we will ignore the fact that the kingdom of God is coming here. And secondly, we'll lose some relevance to our neighbors who do care about the world. And we should too. The kingdom of God isn't either or, it's both and. It isn't a spiritual kingdom we escape to. It isn't the work of political power. It's a spiritual kingdom that grows amidst the cultures of the world until the day God chooses to rip the veil in front of all of us. The day when we see what the shepherds saw, and that is the vision at the end of the book of Revelation, is that we see what the shepherds saw, the armies of heaven, except we see at the forefront, the baby in the feed trough is on the white horse. And he will judge the works that we've done here on the earth. And ultimately, the judgment of God has fallen on him. So those who hope in him receive his grace. Why? Because God created the world and the fullness thereof. He isn't, he's not just redeeming people. He's redeeming everything. The kingdom is coming here. It's going to be established here. And as people, the greatest privilege is that we get to participate with him in building the kingdom starting now. And we get to do that in relationship with the king. Kind of as Mike was talking to the kids about how, you know, we don't always see Jesus here. I, I, think, um, I think it's really important that when we invest in building the kingdom, we experience him more. I think we have a better sense of who Jesus is and what he's doing when we're loving one another, when we're centering our lives on worshiping him, when we're investing, when we're doing that, we're gonna see more of what's going on in his kingdom. I'm reminded as we uh, move toward the table that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he was handed over to the Jews to be ex executed by Caesar's machine. Um, Jesus, you know, the dis despite the way it would soon feel, knew who he was and what he'd come to do. And he's in a room full of ragtag disciples. You know, some of them were, had just recently been working for Rome, by the way, which is kind of interesting. One of them, Simon the Zealot, was probably trying to overthrow Rome just a little bit ago. Uh, they, they are quite the interesting group of not that notable dudes. And there were women there. And he took bread from the Passover feast table. And they would have remembered, they were on a day where they remembered the deliverance from Egypt and Sinai and the cloud firestorm and all that. And he took the bread that reminded them of when God had delivered them from their slavery in a world power by the armies of heaven. And he said, it's all been pointing to me. Essentially, he said, this is my body. He takes the bread that would have reminded them of all that and said, this is me. It's my body. And how am I going to lay the death blow of the kingdom? How am I going to begin the movement? I'm going to be broken. I'm going to be put on a cross like an obscure criminal. People will think I'm done and gone forever. That's how it's going to start. Um, then he took the, uh, 
the cup of wine from the table. This is my blood of a new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of many. The forgiveness of many? I mean, you know what they wanted? They wanted a bloodbath. They wanted the blood of Quirinius on the ground. And he said, I will be the one who will bleed. I will, I will suffer. And I'm going to give you um, a new promise in me, and you'll be forgiven. They didn't want to be forgiven. That wasn't their top priority. They wanted to get back to safe. He said, no, I'm going to, but I'm going to forgive you. That's what you need. That's how my kingdom comes. Remember me every time you drink of it. And then he said, I, by the way, the next time I drink this is going to be brand new with you in my kingdom. And that promise still stands. That promise still stands. We fight by telling the story of love and sacrifice over dinner tables, on hillsides, out among our friends and neighbors. We do what the shepherds did. We go back to work and we tell everybody we know that there's something deeper, there's something dependable, there's something that actually has lasted and will continue to last into eternity. I'm going to pray and give us uh, two minutes of silence to just reflect on this reality. If, if you're like me, I, I, I don't even know that I've been in this headspace throughout most of the day um, of that surety that the kingdom, it is like this, it escapes so quick, doesn't it? It's like one little thing and um, we, we need to come back and say, Jesus, um, impress this in my heart, remind my soul of who you are and what you're doing. Um, this two minutes is time for you to just run to him um, or, or imagine what the shepherds encountered, whatever, whatever you need to do to prepare to receive his promise, his mercy, his forgiveness, and this, uh, this hope of a new kingdom. So we're going we're gonna to do a few things. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together. Um, as, as I mentioned, there will be a two-minute silent prayer, and then you'll hear Mike begin to play some music, and then you're welcome to come forward and partake. Um, even even if, you, if you can just say, hey, I, I, I want to hope in this, that's, that's the act of faith. That's what you need is just to want to. Open your hands and let him do the work. Um, then we're, uh, we're going to sing together. This is uh, our way of taking these truths and letting them sink down uh, memorably and kind of uh, shout them out, just hope, uh, express our hope in these things. Um, we're going to give. This is a good reminder. This is our last day of this calendar year. So some of you all um, giving, uh, you know, if you're going to count it on your taxes or whatever, you got to give over 25 grand. So, you know, have fun. But, um, but if you just love us and want to help us out and uh, let your tax guy know that you did that, this is your last day uh, for that. Um, and so you can, uh, yeah, we've got a tablet in the back, and uh, you can always uh, give in the giving box in the back. And, uh, and we really do appreciate, by the way, just to, just to, to say at the end of a year, um, you know, we shared with you all that we were kind of, kind of hit a little bumpy time in giving, and we have, we have stayed solid throughout this year. So you guys are a small group, but you're a, you pack a punch, so... Thank you. It really uh, means a lot. And, uh, and you, you fund some really cool stuff. Actually, a lot of it you don't even notice sometimes, but it's happening. So deacons could tell you about things like that, and as, as could others. And uh, finally, I just want to pray over uh, all these things and ask God to work in our hearts through them. So let's pray. 
Father, we are, we are grateful for this promise of your kingdom. Uh, it, it really does feel like it just wears off so fast. Um, it's bad news is so alluring. Um, it is so, um, it, well, it just gets us nervous and we, we worry about what's going to happen. And we pray that you would give us that security that comes from your presence with us, from your promise to us, from your assurance that you not only created us, but that you're a sustainer um, and that you have a good plan that stands over all of creation uh, that awaits your people. Um, Give us a passion like the shepherds to tell more people about that, to instill that hope in others. God, as all the, uh, the, the news from our day is that people are asking spiritual questions. So give us the, give us the boldness to share our spiritual experiences with you and what you are calling people into, into a hope. And God, I pray that as we, as we give, that you would care for all of us. We, we all sense the need for your provision in our own lives. Um, we, we worry about our money and our future. Um, yeah, there's inflation and interest rates and it's complicated. And so while I pray for you to provide for our church and for the ministry of this church and for the furthering of the work of the gospel through this church, I first of all pray that you would just provide for all these people and give them a sense of an assurance that you are providing for them, that you're looking out for them, that you are um, caring for them, that you care for them more than the birds and the birds aren't worrying a bit. So I pray that you would give us that inner peace that allows us to live wholly and fully into your kingdom. And God, I pray that these, uh, these elements, this bread and this wine, would remind us of who you are and what you've done, that as we partake of them, that you would just impress upon our souls your deep and sacrificial love for us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Lead us now as we pray.